There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the news podcast number 890. This episode brought to you by Marvel Puzzle Quest. Just in time for the digital release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Yondu will be floating into Marvel Puzzle Quest, so you can recruit him, and, uh, and you can whistle while you work your way through the galaxy uh, through hordes of supervillains in the latest Guardians of the Galaxy event. Uh, you can join forces with Star-Lord, Drax, Groot, uh, build your ultimate dream team of superheroes, all from the Marvel Universe. You can download Marvel Puzzle Quest today on Google Play, iTunes, Amazon App Store, and you can compete in uh, weekly PvP tournaments, form an alliance with your friends, take on deadly enemies and ever-changing story events, and also, uh, you know, help support uh, someone that I adore, Mr. Michael Rooker. I'm Mary Poppins, (laughs) y'all! I love that guy. So much fun. I'm so glad. He was so good in that movie, Katie Levine. He was. He was so good. He was great. Why can't he get nominated for that? It was a beautiful performance. But they never nominate, like, you know, they look the, the Academy looks like superhero movies and they just don't think of them as, like, you know. Yeah, but, but they are getting better that I, maybe they'll start to kind of realize that. was so that. good in that. It was such a beautifully layered performance. He's a, you know, he basically was a villain that you, but you love him and he's not a, oh, it's so fucking good. <laughs> start the campaign. I'm going to start the campaign. Uh, Marvel Puzzle Quest is available on all those platforms. Or you can go to nerdist.com slash MPQ. Uh, what do you got on the corkboard? So I got something kind of cool. A couple weeks ago, I went to a uh, an event that they had at the L.A. Public Library that was called the Wilshire Slides 1978-1979. And back uh, in 1978 and 1979, this woman Marlene Lasky and her daughter Annie, they really liked the architecture in L.A. back then. Okay. And so they went down Wilshire all the way from like downtown to Santa Monica and just took pictures of the different buildings and all the different signage and all that stuff. And so the last couple of years, Annie and her daughter now have been going through all the photos and, and putting them together. They made a book out of it. And then they had this lecture at the at the library uh, all about these slides. So if you if you live in L.A., if you've lived there for a while, it's actually really interesting. Well, Wilshire is such a main artery yeah. that has that has that carves through so many different neighborhoods and so many different things. You know, you have. You have Miracle Mile, yeah. but then you have, you know, you start getting into like Koreatown, yeah. and then you have downtown, and then you have Santa Monica. On the other side, yeah. I mean, there know? were so many like old buildings and old stores, and it was just really interesting to see. So if you're interested, you can go to photos.lapl.org, keyword Wilshire phot- photographer Lasky, that's L A S K E Y, or they're selling a book on Amazon called The Wilshire Slides 1978 to 1979. But if you're interested in architecture or the history of Los Angeles, I highly recommend it. it was I mean, it really is like looking at the stratified layers yeah. of the city. And uh, the billboards were great. Fantastic. Oh my God. Yeah, it was awesome. Excellent. Uh, you can send your event to or thing to events at oh, nerdist.com. You got another one? Shit. Sorry. I have one more. One more thing. This, sure. is, this is actually from Alpha uh, from Nerdist. Yep. Uh, short films oftentimes don't get the exposure they deserve, but Alpha, uh, the me- the membership service from Nerdist and Geek and Century, is here to solve that with our new series, Short Ends, hosted by Andre Gower and Ryan Lambert, the duo who grew up in the horror comedy cult film, The Monster Squad. Uh, it celebrates short films by watching them and exploring the process behind them. You can check it out and sign up for your free trial at projectalpha.com. Excellent. Thanks, Katie Levine. Uh, this episode is James Vanderbeek, whom I've known for 20 years. We did Politically Incorrect together in like 1997 oh, or wow. 98 or something <laughs> like that. And uh, now uh, James and, and his wife, Kimberly, are, are dear friends of, of my wife and me. <laughs> We're just fancy couple friends, although they have four kids. We have yes. zero kids. They we have a cat, it. but uh, but they're such great parents. <laughs> and I get you know they were here and um, Kimberly took a picture of because I have this uh, Yoda backpack that's sitting up on my shelf in the dressing room and she took a picture of it and she said oh my daughter is really into Yoda right now and I go how old is she and she goes seven I go 
please give this to her? Because my Yoda backpack was just sitting up on yeah. the shelf. Not, you know, I mean, like, I enjoyed looking at it up there, but he wasn't getting used. Yeah, so, like, he's, the ones from, like, where it looks like Yoda's on your back. Yeah, 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 yeah. but he's got a little pouch in there. Yeah. Like, he needs to be on a Padawan's <laughs> back teaching them the ways of the Force. So they took it and they gave it to her, and Aww. then he just posted a picture, and it's so, it looks so adorable. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, so I was so happy that Yoda went to the right home. <laughs> it was such a great, it was fortuitous. It was meant, the Force directed it that way, and it, I'm so glad that it worked out that way. But I love James. He is just such a sweet, wonderful, uh, brilliant guy. He's promoting What Would Diplo Do, which is premiering August 3rd, which is the day the podcast is actually going up. It's 10 p.m. on Viceland, and uh, and we talk about it, but it's basically a fictionalized account of he plays Diplo. He plays DJ Diplo, and uh, and I'm really excited because James was – like he wrote on the show and like was a creator and showrunner and, and did all the stuff. So it wasn't just an acting project. This was a real passion project about a community that he loves. So uh, I'm very excited for him. Uh, this episode also brought to you by Stamps.com. Stamps.com, in case you haven't been listening to almost 900 episodes in the Nerdist podcast, allows you to buy and print official U.S. posters for any letter package, class of mail. Now, you might think, well, what, why is that important? Well, because it will save so much time and energy in your life from it, you know, and also make you look more professional. Like, rather than just licking a stamp and smacking yeah. on a thing, you're going to print out the exact post. just going to be a printout. Especially if you have, like, a, 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 your own business. You know, I feel like a lot of people with their, with their own businesses at home would really love this. And it saves so much time and effort. Absolutely. You click, you print, you mail, you're done. Uh, it never closes. You can print postage for letters or packages 24-7. They're going to send you a digital scale. So here's the deal, all right? Uh, you're going to go to stamps.com. Uh, you're going to click the microphone at the top of the homepage and then just type in Nerdist. And then you're going to enjoy Stamps.com with a special <laughs> offer that includes a four-week trial plus a digital scale and postage without any long-term commitments. So go to Stamps.com under the promo code Nerdist. Never go to the post office again. And enjoy your freedom. Enjoy your freedom. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs> well, now, now it's weird to say enjoy your burrito at the top of a podcast. So the podcast is not over. It's just getting started. <laughs> Here's Nerdist Podcast number 890 uh, with the wonderful James Vanderbeek. Katie. Yeah. Now entering Nerdist.com. Dawson much, but I, I can't not bring it up. Oh, dude. Because then people will be like, how come you didn't bring up? And I'm like, I know. You're just fucking... You know what's so funny is you, you listen to, when people listen to stuff and they'll, they'll go, really surprised you didn't mention it. And I always write back and go, well, you'll have to somehow learn how to move on from here because it didn't happen. I think that's why Google was invented. Yeah, exactly. If you really want, if you really want information <laughs> about the thing you've been asking questions yeah, exactly. for for the last fifteen yeah, years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know what's so funny is that I still, when I when I have to do these radio tours, people are like singled out, huh? And I'm like, wow, really? You know? But they still just, you know, they still just. Uh, What's well, an interesting thing because like people when you do something people have their own relationship to it of course so like when you make it it's no it no longer belongs to you it belongs to whoever watches it and they have right. their own like thing so you really can't dictate any any effort to try to really like get in and manipulate that i always feel like is foolhardy yeah and also for, so, sometimes i i would feel if it's the only thing someone asks me about it, i always be like you know I've done like fifty other things, right? You yeah. know I've done like, and and you sort of like my own ego kind of always felt weird about it, and I would just be like, yeah, but you know, like uh, at midnight to show that you know, and I was yeah. like, oh yeah, 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 you know. But did you fuck Jenny McCarthy? I'm like, yeah. okay, <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah, yeah, the ego will, will kind of bite at you a little bit, or just like nip at your heels when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I feel like, I feel like there's a moment I don't know when, like a couple years ago, where I just kind of went like, huh. Eh. <laughs> you know like 
It is, but it, the only t- like when it's a fan, then it's always okay. Like right. If it's it's somebody on the street, like, oh, hey, I always wanted to ask you. The answer to that is like, yes, whatever right. you want to ask all the time. Mm-hmm. It's when you're doing press to promote something that is actually paying the bills. Right. And like you know, you only have a limited amount of time, and they want to ask about something that hasn't paid your bills in and like you fifteen and years. You get to promote the thing that you were there. To yeah, promote. it's like yo, know, I got four kids, man. I gotta. <laughs> they, they they apparently gotta eat, so we gotta. I think maybe about 15 or 16 years ago, maybe more, I was doing a thing and Barry Williams was there, Greg Brady. Oh, wow. And I complained about a very similar thing. And then he just kind of went in, his eyes just sort of glazed over, and he listed like 10 answers that he has to answer all the time. time. The dog ran away. Cousin (laughs) Oliver was only there for a season. We never hooked up. And I was like, holy shit, your life for like the past three decades has been, you know, has has been that. Or like, that's really funny. I was was always impressed by. you know, I, I'm so sad that Adam West passed away. He was such a lovely man, but he took it so much in stride and never seemed like you know when people would, would hit him with the Batman stuff. He just yeah. imp- he somehow managed to make peace with it, and embrace it, and be like, "Hey, this is a really special." Do you think thing. he was always like that, or do you think he must have had a process? Who knows? I feel like everybody has to have a process, and when you like, then you're finally cool with it, right? I mean, yeah. maybe in the beginning, I'm sure it was especially. Especially at the time when you're making that show, and then it goes into syndication, which is still a relatively new thing at yeah. that point. And then that's all people talk about, and you're like, "No, man, it's the '70s. I got other shit to do." And people are like, "Hey, it's Batman." You know, I'm sure that's not fun, right? When you're not when you want to get other work, and you become typecast in that way. Yeah, but the weird thing is now because media is so fragmented, and everybody's got their own lane, everybody's got their own little like entertainment pool that their algorithm right. steers them towards. Um, a lot of times when people come up to me and they're like, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but, and it's usually one of like five different questions from like five different projects. Right. So they just assume that I'm always getting asked that varsity blues question right. or that rules of attraction question, or I know you get tired of this, but I love don't trust to be in apartment. And you're like, no, I never get tired of that <laughs> actually. Um, but it's just interesting. People kind of know you from what they know you from. Right. And, you know, people can assume it's one thing, but it's often like my experience has been it's actually a bunch of different things. Yeah, and and also it's it should it sort of help, help you look back and go, wow, I've actually done a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I really I had a moment on this latest project where I realized I could say that I've been doing this for a quarter century. Yeah, I know. You know <laughs> I was like, that, that's a bummer. That's dude. A bummer. I'm old. I man. know. I know. There was a yeah. I know. I know. I know exactly what you're. That someone just did a a story with me and it was about being in comedy for 25 years I'm like God my career could get really great insurance rates now because it finally hit 25 like that that really if only there was such a thing as tenure man yeah exactly (laughs) now you can't be fired from stuff yeah yeah no you're in it no you're in it but um, uh, but I also loved I love that you also try weird, fun stuff because I think the Power Rangers thing was awesome. Oh, thank you. That Power Rangers thing thank was you. so – and we rallied so hard when they pulled it down, when Saban pulled it down. Like, God don't they fucking know that. this is going to make people more interested in the thing? God bless you for that. I love that. Um, yeah, that was a crazy fun thing. I had uh, dinner with Adi Shankar, who's a friend of mine, and I was like, so what are you up to? He's like, dude, I'm doing a totally dark, hard R take on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm totally in. Is there a script? He's like, would you be a part of it? I'm like, yeah, send me the script. So he sent me the script and I looked at it. I was like, would you like, do you want notes? He's like, yeah, what do you think? Do you want to meet with Joseph? I said, yeah. So I sat down with Joseph Kahn, um, who's a genius and a visual like virtuoso. And, um, and Joseph was like, yeah, do you have, do you have thoughts? You can just, you can just rewrite your dialogue. You just, he's, you know, let me just send you the file. So it's like, you know, open source generation. Like, let me just send you the FDX file. And so uh, he did. And I sat down and originally there was like some narration and there was all the vignettes were there. Like all the little Easter eggs were there. Those were those are not me. But I um, I was like, what if I just had the interrogation drive the narrative and I rearranged some of the vignettes and I did this rewrite. And I thought this would be fun because this would be like a practice for like a studio polish. Right. Um, and I just had a lot of fun with it. And I sent it to Joseph. And then a week later, I got an email 
this is great. Let's shoot this. I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. That never happens. Especially when you're, not, when you're used to working in a business where everything takes a year and a half to even kind of get off the ground. Ever. And there are always notes and there are always changes and there are always a compromise in the middle that's not really what anybody wants. But, uh, but this was – we just did it for free for shits and giggles. And um, just was like, yeah, let's shoot it. So I wrote a sword fight in there because I wanted a sword <laughs> fight. And it's funny because I've been wanting to get into more like kind of stunts and fight and you know kind of – build up that part of my resume and so i wanted to go to this 87 11 place that i'd heard about oh yeah yeah that's the was, really crazy intense you have to be invited to yeah it's like a dojo and it's like um, where keanu reeves like trained right yeah it's yeah. where it's keanu's stunt double from the matrix and his partner and they started this in this like hangar near like lax somewhere and um and people just stunt guys just come in and it's like the best athletes in the world and they're training and i'd wanted to like get in there and so joe so i do this rewrite just has like on a lark like whatever and um, Joseph goes, would you mind going to this place called 8711? You don't have to go many times. I'm like, dude, I'm there every day. So I showed up every day. And now they can't get rid of me. That's fantastic. Now so, you're part of it. Now you're part of it. I'm like part of it. And every time I do a thing that has stuns, I'll like write in ninjas. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it. I'll, I'll like put some ninjas in here. And then I'll call the guys and I'll get them work. And it's just like it's it's been a fun I think it's a way to keep in shape, and it's I, I love it. I think it was kind of a compliment. I, I'm actually surprised that they were able to take it down because I'm sure – they were able to block it using the IP argument, but then there's also the other argument of like uh, satire yeah. and freedom of expression oh, and being sure. able to a- add sort of your, your own commentary to stuff. But I, I think there's a weird compliment in there somewhere where they were probably like, shit, I don't know if we're going to make anything this cool. You know, I mean, <laughs> where they, don't, they didn't want it to, you know, it's like it would be difficult for them to release their movie and people go, yeah, but the fucking YouTube thing was a million times cooler than anything, you know, that could ever get done. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the intention. Like, I don't want to shit on anybody's IP no, or, no, no, or like, no, no, or like no, devalue but, it. But um, yeah, I mean, the fact that they felt that threatened was kind of odd. But I also, I don't know. I tried to understand it through the prism of like Saban's point of view. Like this older guy did not grow up with the internet. Right. And he buys this thing that makes him billions of dollars right and now somebody's making something that looks like a movie and putting it out for free and it's not on brand for me no take it down and also i mean listen i don't know anything about the guy maybe if we're giving him a little bit of slack maybe it could be like oh my thing is supposed to be for kids this is not for kids yes it challenges the tone of this this brand that i made yeah and i know the guy who wrote the movie that they subsequently made he was like the last guy to come in and do the rewrite and it, it was definitely like kids 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 right like make it young. Now, uh, I there's so there's a do, we've I know I've talked to you about this before, but do you actually remember when we did uh, politically incorrect? Together? I do. Do you remember? It was like 1996 or something. I think it was the first time I was on. It could it had seven ninety seven. It had to have been after ninety eight. Ninety. Okay. Yeah. Then it wasn't the first time I was on, but we did. We did. We did I do remember together. doing it with you because I remember. Maybe you, you were much rounder then. I was rounder. Yeah, I was much <laughs> there rounder. There was a lot more of you. There was much more of me. Like you know, uh, j- jackets were bigger, cuts were bigger, hair was floppier. Oh, it was man. a, it it was was a, a different bad, time. I don't think we're ever gonna have a flashback to that time, fashion wise. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's a time in the nineties when everybody was like like pegging their pants and like wearing mm-hmm. like bell bottoms. No way! But then that totally came back. And yeah. I don't think we're ever gonna go back to like I'm gonna I'm a forty, but I'm gonna wear a forty four jacket. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't super think super baggy. Like neon shirts and baggy baggy clothes like, i heard oh, frosted tips are coming back frosted tips <laughs> you know what's hilarious about frosted tips i know so many writers who when they got their first like big gig got frosted tips i know like four or five te- television writers who the first time they became a showrunner the first time they sold a movie all of a sudden they had frosted tips you know it was like the thing to do yes it is the male equivalent of french tip nails <laughs> where it's like this is what classy people do you know exactly. like it's what classy people do uh yes it's not <laughs> so don't run out and get frosted tips please don't get frosted <laughs> just tips. don't do it just did you did you ever frost the uh no no that 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 90s hair was all me except after i did varsity blues because i died i dyed it black for that and then right. i had to dye it blonde again for dawson's creek and then it got it, it was like a 10-hour process that left my skull bleeding and like my hair like straw and it was really bad. So I, when I saw you at the Dodger game, mm-hmm. it was really fun to see you with your kids because you basically managed to – and you know, I, this is something I'm really interested in because you know, Lydia and I are, are starting to have the kid conversation. Yeah. But you were able to have a conversation 
and your limbs operated independently of your <laughs> of your head because you essentially were the equivalent of like a cat tree. Yes. And so you had like one child on your leg and another one you were just kind of was just kind of dangling on your arm. And the kids were th- completely engaged and entertained and somehow you were able to separate your body from your brain at that point and just have a regular conversation while knowing exactly how to balance all of, all of that. How is that? How does that happen? Was that natural or did you have to learn how to do that? That, that just comes with practice. I okay. Think. That's a, that comes when you have four kids under six. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We had four incredible. kids under five at one point. Yeah. How do you do it? <laughs> I'm addressing your wife, Kimberly, right now. She, she, she's a, a superwoman. I don't, I really don't know how she's done. It. I mean, so it's because what's amazing to me is like, so how do you get it's, to three and go? Let's do four. Like, how do you? How does? It, how do you? Is it? Is it? Is it the? Is it the process of like, you know, like the like getting like raising a baby and turning it into a human, or is it just like we just like as many as many little feet running around the house as possible? I think we're still trying to figure out what's causing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I don't know. We've always just kind of left it open. I don't know. We've really just been, just felt really blessed every time we have one. And um, I don't know. I just feel like if a soul wants in, who are we to stop it? And and they all have, I would imagine, their own very, very distinct personalities. Oh, completely. Same ingredients, same recipe, and they all come out completely different. And you, they're they're different even in utero. Like the way they move in the womb is the way they move when they come out of the womb, and it's they're all different. They all, like I, people, you know, people say, "Oh, just, are you proud? Do you see things of yourself in them? Do you see little things that oh, that's me?" And I really, I feel like we just won like the cosmic lottery with each of them. You know, I feel like it's like a cosmic adoption in some way. <laughs> like they just want to come in, and then they take some of your genes and some not, and just but they're completely them. All of them are completely their own thing and their own person and their own personality and their own tendencies and it's it's really fascinating you just feel grateful that like you get to to be the person that gets to kind of guide them and and hold them and know them like as they as they come into really who they are god this just makes me think i'm a horribly evil person because all i can think of is just like oh my god stress all day long i'm just gonna have to worry about keeping them from killing themselves somehow but that's that that's how i was before i had kids okay like i would go over to somebody's house i remember i was with kimberly and we went to um we went to see her mom her mom's boss and they had this kid this little like I don't know he was walking so he must have been like you know one and a half or two, and we saw him and he was cute, and all I could think was I can't wait to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like what do you do with that thing? Like that thing lives here. Like it's got to go to bed. It's got to eat. It's got to wake up in the morning. It's probably gonna wake up in the middle of the night. Like yep. what do you do with that all day? And I knew I wanted kids. I was always that guy. But there was just that thing of like well, God I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to get up in the middle of the night. I'm going to have to change diapers. I'm going to have to not watch the football game. I'm going to have to do all these things. And for me, the second I met my daughter, I mean, like, like the second she came out, all of that reversed. And it was just, I am going to change that diaper. I, that's what I want to do the most. (laughs) Nothing. Football game is no longer important at all. That's, everything she needs that's what that's my priority like my i always describe it as like before i had kids there were i was in a sea and there are all these priorities like in the waves like bobbing up at any given time something was more important and the second i had kids it was like a triangle and at the top of that were like my wife and my kid right and everything was just existed to support that and it wasn't like i be i mean i did become i guess better a better version of of myself than who I was before, but it wasn't because I was good. It was just, that was like the internal reaction. So that's what I say to people before they have kids and they're thinking about, God, I'm going to have to do all that. It's like, yeah, totally natural. Like that's how you're going to feel. All right, good. Until you meet them and then there will be nothing more important in your life. Yeah. Cause I have met other parents who are, who they adore their kids and they go, yeah, I used to think I, I go. I, they go. I love my kids. I think everyone else's kids are shitty, but yeah. I love my own kids. <laughs> you know, because it's like because I always think I always said 
You know, I did a joke in my act about how you only ever notice kids in public when they're being dicks. Yes, it's like you o- you don't notice the ones who are quiet and being really cool and not and, yeah. and being sweet. Yeah. It's just like the kid who shits up his own back and grabs guacamole and throws it on the ground and like yeah. flips the table and with like, the snot what? running down his face. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, get, Jesus Christ, get the fuck away from my kid with your snotty ass <laughs> face. I do not want you touching my yeah yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a little bit of that. And listen, I mean, it's not like you know our house is just you know, yoga music and calmness all the time. Like it gets crazy. It gets insane. Um, and there are times when you just look at your partner and you're like, Oh my God, what are we doing? Well, you probably just put out one fire and there's potentially three more fires to put out. There's a lot. There's always a lot going on. <laughs> I always, I always call it just barely contained chaos glued together by moments of pure bliss. Right. Like the bliss has to be something that you've never experienced before because, the other side of it is so insanely ridiculous. And to try to reason, like especially to work like a 14-hour day on set and come back and like have to convince four little humans to brush their teeth. Right. It's like, come on. Come on. Yeah, do, you want to, do you want to brush your teeth? You know, you got to get the sugar buggies out. Come on. Oh, hey, toothpaste is falling. You're going to catch it. Spider-Man, you got to catch the toothpaste. Like it takes so much energy to just do those things. Um that you really have to love it. <laughs> See, that's a, that, that's really sweet. I just wonder if I'm going to be like, brush your teeth because they'll fall out and no one will hire you for anything. You know what I mean? Maybe, like, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I'm going to try that tonight. <laughs> You'll never get a I job. Probably, I probably should. Nobody's going to hire you with no teeth. Not in this town, kid. <laughs> you, better, you better brush them. <laughs> well, it's not, I always, I've, been, I've been sort of picking at people who have kids and that I know are really good parents because I'm just really trying to understand more of the because it's especially did you have brothers or sisters i did yeah. oh see that helps a lot because i didn't and so okay when you're an only child and you're so used to like everything about me is important why do i need to focus on it but when you have siblings <laughs> you you at least have some understanding of how to operate within a system where you're not the most important thing yeah i also think it also helps to have a just figure have figured out the your relationship with your parents whether good or bad or you know everybody's got stuff but um just to kind of have explored that to a degree where you feel like you you have a grasp on what's important, what you need, what you needed, and what you want to do for your kid. I think right. that's – there is one piece of unsolicited advice that I give in terms of the actual birthing process that I give people. Okay. Which is um, take the first hour after the kid is born for just the three of you. It's more life than you've ever experienced – it's more than you've ever gotten the chance to hold in your head and your heart and your soul. And all of that has to expand because you've never experienced anything like this. And your tendency, especially as a man, is to want to be, okay, what am I doing? I got to get the cord blood thing figured out. I got to call this. I got to call this person. I got to let them know. And I would advise to just, for the first hour, just spend time with the three of them and let it wash over you. Because it it is the most delicious hour of life. And there's no way to explain it. There's no way to prep somebody for it. It's just something that happens. So, um, you know, there's nobody that you have to call in that first hour. And in fact, if you call them after that first hour, you'll be able to have a better conversation with right. your parents or your uncle or your best friend or whoever you you really want to share this with. Do it after that first hour. And the baby doesn't need to be washed right away or weighed right away. You know, you healthy happy everything's good you can just like they warm up best on mom anyway right and they'll probably want to suckle a little bit so just like just do that and some hospitals actually respect it they call it the golden hour um and they kind of respect that space everybody walks out of the room and they just let these three people experience this thing that is really kind of indescribable well that's a great that is a good piece of advice i'm gonna i'm gonna pretend like when it happens that it was my idea. You should. You yeah, totally should, like, dude. You know what? Let's just take an hour. Hey, Lydia, I got this. Let's have a golden hour. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to turn the phone off. You and just I, make sure you... she understands the hour part. Because then, you know, <laughs> a golden what? what you... <laughs> and then I'll run into you and be like, hey, did you do the golden hour? Oh, the thing I told you about? Yeah. Yeah, we did it. It was great. You should try it. You should try it sometime. I just want to be able to take some, I'll have to be able to steal some credit somewhere for, you know, being an intuitively uh, s- smart parent. But you are. That's the thing. You really are. Like, you're a good dude. And that comes through. Like, you really. You just kind of reach down to like the best of you, I feel like, 
because you care about this thing that came in your life and you want to do well by it. And so, um, it just, it just kind of forces you to overcome certain things and to realize your own garbage, like your own garbage just gets thrown in your face immediately. <laughs> and, ki- and kids also, they'll, they'll, you like, it's like one of those zombie movies where like anything that's used against the zombies, they then use against you sure. immediately. Like I realized that the first time my kid wa- wagged his finger at me, it's <laughs> like, he was like, no daddy. And like all of a sudden he's pointing his finger. I'm like, fuck, I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> You can't, wow, I really do have to figure out a way to communicate with you. I can't just tell you what, I can't just order you what to do. Oh, yeah, because they're, really they're, they're, they're just absorbing all the time. They're absorbing it all the time. And they all, at least my kids, all want to use the same phrases back at me and the same expressions. Where did my kid learn to say fuck nut? Well, my, yeah, my, uh, Olivia swore for the first, the first time she swore, she was like, I want to say she was like three. I was like running around, like trying to multitask. And she goes, daddy, you're getting shit done. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he is. Your daddy is getting uh, shit done. So yeah. I, I looked at her. I said, the only thing you can say, which is, I said, yes, honey, daddy's working like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like we have to, I mean, it's, it, it's good to teach kids about rules of decorum, but I think the language thing is like, it's 2017. You know, it's like, they're gonna, the kids, are going to get it. They're going to get it on the internet. They're going to get yeah. it from other kids at school. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and then I feel like the more mystical you make it, the more they're going to want to do it. So I was like, you know, hey, you know I, what? I, I would have argued against you had my wife, who is the face of an angel, also not have the mouth of a truck driver. <laughs> she, she, she floats when she walks across a room. She is beautiful and elegant in every way except one, which is she curses all the time. Good for you, Kimberly. Good for you. And and like and not just not just in a petite way. And like she drops something, and goes shit, fuck, motherfucker. And yep. I'm like with all of our kids in the room. And I will say, our kids don't swear. They don't curse. It's so weird. They really don't. That time that Olivia said that was basically like the only time she's ever used That's that incredible. word. Incredible. Yeah, Lydia. Lydia can. Lydia has some good swear strings too. Yeah, yeah she has oh, some bet. really good swear strings. Yeah. And you don't, you don't really expect it. I don't. I you know when I first met her and having, I was like, whoa, this is awesome. You know, because <laughs> yeah. I was terrified I was going to be the one who was like, I'm so sorry for the way that I am and speak. It's just the way you know. But she's yeah. So I, I, I'm excited about that part of it. Yeah. I, and and also, I mean. It's just funny to hear a tiny voice say a horrible word. It's you oh, know, it is, it's yeah. just kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Motherfucker. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Did, so when uh, my, my, my kid says Jesus all the time now. I'm like, Joshua, you can't say Jesus. Why not? Um oh boy, like where do you where do you, where do you this go? High do you, level concept. How do you explain Jesus to a kid? Um <laughs> How do you explain not only how do you explain that to a kid, how do you explain the nuance of when it's acceptable and not acceptable for most people to hear it and how to judge, you know, the myriad of reactions that you might get. But I think those are the kind of things where you're like, well, use it and see what happens. And then that's how you learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I guess that's how else do you learn other than I guess. I mean, he must have heard something. it from somebody else because it's not something that I say on a regular basis. But but yeah, you're like, where do you go? OK, there was a really nice man who was killed, but. It's because you're a sinner. Yeah, exactly. Like, where, like how do you? And even... so you can use. You should use it this way, but not this way. But and not, sometimes yes. it's a swear, but sometimes it's a guy. It's a holy guy, and he's yeah. dead. Been dead a long time. Yeah, I, I have a very distinct memory of being dropped off from my carpool in probably no more than third grade, fourth grade, and I was getting out of the car. My mom was standing at the door, so I was in between the car full of someone's mom and a bunch of kids, and I dropped my backpack. And I, I think what came out of my mouth was, eh, you jerk off. And I think in my head, I just thought that meant jerk. Yeah. And I just, my mom, I saw my mom's expression and immediately understood like, oh, I think I just stepped on an ornament. Yeah. A Christmas ornament. And yeah. the and then the, the mother, and she was just looking at the mother in the, in the car and being, and she was like, where did you learn? And I don't remember where I learned it. I was like, oh, it just means like a jerk, you know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, discover later. I would discover what a what a really amazing thing it actually means. <laughs> but uh, but at the time, I just it's a didn't, very sacred thing. I didn't really understand, and I don't remember where I heard it. I think 
you just when your brain is forming, it just absorbs the environment, and then yeah. things just come out, and that's how you learn how to engage with the world. I had the same experience with douchebag. <laughs> I said douchebag. What a great word. Hey, douchebag. <laughs> I was very young and was like, I could see my parents both freeze and like tense up. It's like, you shouldn't say that word. I'm like, why not? What is it? It's just a douchebag. Right. And like, and my, and like my dad just kind of walking out of the room and my mother like explaining, <laughs> like trying to explain what, what it, the process of feminine hygiene. It's very difficult to, but even then, but then, but it's a colloquialism for something else. And, and even then, yeah. it's very difficult to, the fact that we get so hung up on language when language is just really a tool. And it's like, are we not evolved enough that, w- that these types of words shouldn't really mean it? Like, is it more just because people like to have, you know, degrees of rules on things of like, you can't do this if you want to fit in polite society. Like, it just feels so Victorian, you know, this it, oh, and it's polite got, society. And it's getting worse, too, with the political correctness. You know, I was realizing the other day is that, like, artists now, comedians are being held to some crazy, weird Puritan standard of, like, political correctness. But world leaders are not. Right. <laughs> you know, like, oh, he's a president. He's got a job to do. It's all right if he, you know, grabs a little pussy here and there. Right. But like, you know, somebody makes a joke about it and all of a sudden they're excoriated by by like any kind of political. It's just such a weird well, A lot of that is ego, time. though. People love to be offended by things because it is empowering to be offended the by things. Self-righteousness. And it also gets very, you attention. Yeah. If someone goes, I am so offended, everyone goes, oh, my God, what happened? Are you OK? You know, like yep. it, it really – I would say, unfortunately, not all, but some of the I'm so offended comes from uh, is, is I think is much more about ego than a lot of people would be willing to admit because 100%. it does get you does get you attention now. And it's, there, al- it's also like it's also like energetic junk food. And, but, yeah, it and makes it, you it gives you a rush. It gives you a quick bolt of energy. And it just then, gets gray. Though. Like, oh, afterwards, it gets gray because there are, you know, certain things that do become just flat out hate speech. We're like, OK, well, that's not OK. Of course. But if it's meant if it's meant to wound, if it's meant to, you know, be offensive, if it's like used in a like to beat somebody over the head or try to make them feel bad about themselves yeah, yeah but it's but sure. it's so strange that we get so hung up on the actual word and and just the word like just words yeah. just words it's them, themselves and not like well what is the context what is the nuance what right. was the person trying to accomplish was it this was it that i mean like that's a whole process it takes a lot of thought to you know to put something under a microscope each time so i think it's it's easier just to go you know Oh, well, fuck that. You know, we, everyone I think yeah. really wants because I think there's just so much information to process at all times. They just want like a yes or no button for everything. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is OK. No, that is not OK. And yeah. anything that requires any type of depth or understanding or anything is just it's just too much energy. It's more than 140 characters, bro. It's, it's too, more than yeah. 140 characters. Yeah. More than 140 characters. Yeah. I, I was I wanted to dig in a little bit and figure out because with the Viceland show that you worked on, the, Dip, the yeah. show about Diplo. Yeah. You were so heavily involved in that, yeah. That I, I mean, that. So how 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 are you that heavily involved in in something, but still manage to, you know, make sure that you're keeping your home life balanced? So just if you can, just talk a little bit about the vice about the Diplo show, yeah. And then I would love to understand how you're able to balance that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a new it's been a new balancing act. Um, so this Diplo thing. Uh, Diplo's management last year, around uh, June or July, was uh, uh, putting together a promo video for the Mad Decent Block Party Tour. Uh-huh. And they had very wisely and astutely picked out Brandon Dermer, this young director, out of the sea of young up-and-coming music video directors. And they said, uh, you know, do you have an, an idea for this promo? And Brandon's idea was, you know what? What if we have James Vanderbeek play Diplo in like a Dollar Shave Club type vibe? <laughs> And they said, sure. Do you know him? He's like, nope. (laughs) And they're like, well, you know, we can reach out. And as it had happened, I had kind of flagged Diplo as a kind of a genius like a couple years back. So when the offer came in, I was like, oh, well, you know, let me think about it. And so I went, I checked out Brandon's reel and what he directed. Um, He did the uh, Dylan Francis's Not Butter video. Okay. uh, Which I really was like, okay, this guy is really onto something. So I met, we did this promo. I did a little bit of a rewrite. Again, he sent me the FDX file. I was like, you open the notes? He's like, yeah, I'll send you the FDX file. Um, did a little rewrite in like 20 minutes. Added some ninjas, as I'm prone to do. 
And I'm seeing a pattern. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern. Of like, what could I add from my childhood that would be amazing? I'm just warming up for a lightsaber Sword one fighting, day. I just want ninjas. a lightsaber one day. That's what I want. Um, hey, listen, they're they're making a shit ton of Star Wars movies. I know. Some, get, somewhere, somewhere, I gotta like pick up a lightsaber. Right? You need to be in there. Um, so we shot it. I never thought. None of us ever thought it would be anything more than that. But it came out um, last July 3rd, actually. And it got a lot of press play. People really seemed to like it. And then Nick Weidenfeld at Viceland mm-hmm. came to... I know Nick. Yeah. Nice guy. Really sweet guy. Yeah. Really sweet guy. And and saw it before any of us did and said, hey, where are you taking this? And we're like, what? He's like, this show. We're like, it's not a show. It's just a one-off. He said, no, no, no. This is a series. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. He's like, all green lighted. You can, you know, restrate the series for Viceland. I was like, well... Let me think. And I went back that night and I was like, wait a minute. Holy shit. Yeah, this is like this is like EDM Jesus sucks at life. Right. And so I came back to Diplo's manager and to Brandon. And I was like, I think I know how to write this. I think I know how to run this. Um, and if you let me do that, then I'll star in it. And they were like, okay. So I pitched them the whole thing and um, – then Brandon and I flew out to, to New York and pitched Spike Jones, who was like the creative director of the mm-hmm. network. And what I pitched were uh, parables about life through the eyes of a clown in this crazy EDM world. Um, so we would so hire two writers, Hal Ozan and Jordan Van Dyna. And with, together with Brandon, we would break everything in the room. And, uh, and I'd gotten some really good advice from Mark Duplass, actually. Oh, wow. Who, who had said, I'd just worked for him uh, on the HBO show Room 104. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well... He'll, he'll probably feel guilted into taking some time with me to, <laughs> to give me some advice on running a show. And uh, I sat down with him. He was like, if you're only doing like five episodes and you're right, you can write them before you start prep, he's like, maybe it might be more efficient for you to just write them all. So do it salon style. So we would break it in the room on the whiteboard, have these long philosophical hoity-toity conversation. Hoity-toity. Who's used that word? Hoity-toity. Who's used that word in the last hundred years? I think just you. I think just me. Yeah. And only me. Um, <laughs> these highfalutin conversations. These highfalutin. And, and someone in Kansas was like, you're not going to that hoity-toity <laughs> homecoming just, dance. That just came out of my mouth. Um, and so we would break it in the room. I would wake up the next morning really early, um, make my coffee, sneak out before the kids got up, and write until like 11, email the script to the writer's office. They'd show up at 11. They'd I'd just email it without even proofreading it, which was so freeing and liberating. And then we'd talk about it and we'd tear it apart and, and discuss it. And I realized the things that would normally take me as a writer like two weeks to figure out, we could solve in about two seconds. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we wrote it. And that's how I ended up show running for the first time. And, um, you know, it was a little bit in terms of like how it, you know, it was an experiment because Viceland doesn't have any scripted programming right now so there was no template they're like as a network they're more like a a rogue band of creative people (laughs) right um so their notes were always kind of crazy experiment keep it weird and so each episode is like a different swing it's a little bit different tonally we just kind of wanted to see what we could accomplish and and just try some shit so um it was in that weird crazy open space that i would then be like okay gotta go home and so that I, I'd come back and it's interesting as an actor, I feel like in the beginning of my career, it was always about like, how do I get there? How do I get to the darkness? How do I get to what I, what it is I have to accomplish? And then or like my mid to late thirties, I kind of, it's something clicked and I realized, Oh, wait a minute. Like if it exists in humanity, I can channel it. Sure. So it's not about me having to go there. It's all about like, how do I channel it cleanly and let it not stick to me? And that opened up a whole other like realm because I was no longer afraid of getting stuck in a place or I just wasn't afraid of anything. So I could just let it happen. And I was like a, just like a channel for all of it. That makes sense. Yeah. And or, it, or like a, you're like, you're like a medium. You're like, a, you're like an acting medium. It's kind yeah. of, it's kind of what it is. That, that's kind of how I look at it really. Um, and so that made the acting thing way more fun and way – and I became more fun <laughs> to, every, to everybody in my life um, when I started to look at it that way. And then with, the, with, with writing and, and you know, I was like a 
showrunner, you're answering questions every four seconds about everything from what do you want this mug to look like to what should the you know and unfortunately I had Brandon Dermer my director who directed every episode so he and I were like partners in that so he shouldered a lot of it as well in the shot listing and um, but it was weird because I felt like I was you get in that creative space and you feel like okay it's great I'm living here I don't want to shut the door too much because I want to get back in it right um, and so I was having a conversation with my wife actually just recently about like, okay, now that I've done this once, I think I, now I, I have confidence that I can access that pool of like creativity. You know, I can go into that realm and get these answers and, and make the decisions and, and then step away from it. And like, you know, like a pop-up book, like just close it and then go home. But then you'll discover the new things. Like once you have a basic understanding of something, then that's where you start. That's where the discovery process starts. Yeah. Cause then you, then you kind of understand what some of the rules are. So then you can start getting really granular with how do you evolve and how do you make something more interesting and how do you, Oh, if we did this, I guess we could do that. You know, it's like oh, the, yeah. the one upsmanship. Of oh, it. of course. And that's been like the challenge as you know, I go into editing and going into post and VFX and, and sound edits and all this stuff is to let it go in the same way that I did as an actor. Cause an actor, it's easier cause you show up on set, you offer a bunch of choices for a director to put on a menu and then you walk away. And you let them figure out exactly what you know, right? What the thing is, and then and I've learned a long time ago as an actor to just really let it go. And so if I if that meant not watching something that I'd done until like years later, that's just what I would do, right? Um, and this, you know, it's like it's first time. It's like my first time writing a show. It's my first time doing a lot of things. So you want it to be good. Like you want to, and you think immediately, wow, I, I would really like to do this again. So I, I want to make sure it's the best it can be. But at the same time, it's also the first time I've done it. So, you know, it's okay if it's a little uneven. It's well, that's okay good. if it's a little, if, you know, somebody said to me, perfect is the enemy of good. Well, that, you know, that's so funny you say that because I just, I, I, I thought of something in the car the other day and I want to put it on a, on a, on something and keep it next to my computer or put it on a t-shirt but the idea of it is there's no artistry in perfection. Yeah. And and it came from the idea that when we were – when Lydia and I were – we went to Hearst Castle a few weeks ago and we're just kind of looking at just, – just absorbing it. And, you know, we go – we like to go every once in a while looking at textures and stuff. We went to this one place that Lydia had never seen before and the floor tiles were all – perfect squares mm -hmm. and the director of the of the castle is this really wonderful woman named mary and she was explaining that the story was that when her great-great-grandfather saw it he made some sort of a comment about how oh well, those look perfect and the idea was that he did he wasn't saying it as a compliment wow and so i was like oh my god yes of course when something is too perfect there's no like humanity to it there's no artistry to it it's too machine-like and sterile and so like the you know the 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 wrinkles and the fuck-ups and that like that's where all of the that's where all the art lives because those are all that 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 that's like a shared experience you yeah know? like that's flaw like flaws are strengths flaws are and flaws are unique yes yes unique and yeah. special yeah nothing is special when everything's the same you know yes and when you, when you go for it you know it works because it's worked before there's a there's safety in that but it's not nearly as interesting so i'm at the point right now where i'd almost rather swing and miss a little bit in on the off chance that i connect on one of these things and it's and it's exciting yeah and maybe it could lead you in a whole other direction that you hadn't even ever thought of before yes. that's that's the exciting thing that's what i realized like like my job as showrunner and that and allow me to wax poetic after, <laughs> after having done it once um i feel like it was like maybe around 60 percent Making decisions, getting everybody on the same page, motivating everyone. Hey, get, let's get excited about this idea. And then 40% on really careful watch for a better idea right. to pop up and facilitating an environment and a set where a better idea can come to the surface and get captured. Right. So in, even in the way we shot it, we cross shot everything. We had to move super quick because we had no time. Um, we shot everything on 6K so we could – an over could become a single. A two-shot could, could become you know a single mm -hmm. uh, in post. And, and that was so much fun to then – to cast based on who – we cast these forces of nature. Like we got Bobby Lee. Oh, yeah, play of course. We have Jamar Neighbors uh -huh. 
in it. Uh, H. Michael Croner is so funny and saves me on so many little <laughs> gaps in writing. <laughs> and they just come in and, and, uh, and Dora Madison and um, I know I'm forgetting uh, somebody. Oh, Dylan Francis is also in it. Dylan is amazing. I saw what Dylan was doing on Snapchat. And Dylan actually knows Diplo and uh, knows Wes and is like part of that world. But he plays a character. He plays like this hanger on with like the lowest IQ of any functioning human being. And to watch them, you know, sometimes a joke is structured because, you know, and in a way that it needs to be said word for word. And sometimes, you know, plot needs to be conveyed. And sometimes it's important that people stick to the strip, but a lot, script, but a lot of times it's not. And a lot, and so many times I watch them embody something and make it their own and sometimes come up with something completely different that was so much better. And that was, I would say almost more rewarding than having written something because when somebody else does something and it's unique and it's awesome, you're like, yes, that's great. Right. You can have total confidence in it. When it comes through you, there's always that second guessing of like, well, I mean, it was my idea. Is it really the best one? Right. (laughs) So, um, and it's also, you also have to be careful that all the characters don't have your voice. Oh, yeah, and for so sure. That, that's where all that comes in. I, I'm curious to know, when you met with Spike Jones, did he enter the room through a tiny door riding a penny-farthing bike with a talking monkey on his shoulder? I know, because I, right? that's how I like to envision him. <laughs> I will say he's got a little little tiny chihuahua that he pets that sits on his lap. I fucking while knew it! While you're talking to him. Um, it talks. The dog talks, right? <laughs> not, when you, not when I'm around. Not when but you're I around. know as soon as I left the room, the dog was the one making Good meeting, call, Spike. Calling the shots, yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's do this. No, I love Spike. Very hoity-toity, I'm wasn't he? a huge fan. <laughs> well, he was quite hoity-toity. But he might do a good job. <laughs> he may be fine. Um, yeah, man. I, I, I've loved his work for so long. Well, yeah. I mean, just the, 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 the guy is a... He's a visionary. Like, you just, the second you see his stuff, you go, oh, yeah, that's a... That's uh, that's not of this earth. That is yeah. a whole other realm. I don't. You couldn't teach that to someone. You you couldn't force that. It's just his brain is slightly askew from yeah. the rest of humanity, and that's what comes out. And he gives such great notes. Like I, it, at one point, we we just kind of pitched all all the episodes to him, and he would say, "What what if he said this?" And you're like, "That's fucking amazing. <laughs> that's great." Yeah, it's really fun. Now. Uh, did he come to set or was he involved that much? No, he was, uh, he was the one who kind of greenlit it. Um, and then he came to the writer's room after we'd written everything and I pitched everything out and that's where he gave his notes. And then he would give notes on cuts kind of through, um, his assistant and you know his executive. Now, when you, so, but he was never on set. He's very, obviously very busy and is always doing some crazy thing. Like he's designing Frank Ocean's, Sad or something. Sure, of course. Like he's always got these crazy projects. He's building an, an underwater habitat yeah. for, for uh, <laughs> the future of humanity, I'm sure. Is there a, uh, are you having to explain? Because I imagine you've probably done a lot of junket stuff and a lot of interviews and stuff. Have you, has anyone been like, electric dance music? James, what is that about? Can you explain to me? Yeah, every once in a while I'm asked. EDM? I'm asked to talk about it. What is Um, EMD? No. (laughs) Especially like my parents and my parents' friends. It's almost like like when I was first on the WB and people would be like, so are you working? And I was like, yes, I'm on a show. Oh, what's it called? Well, I'm the title character. Oh, is it like a cable access thing? No, it's a real show. (laughs) WB. Oh, I don't think we get that. It's it's a real show, Aunt Rose. I'm telling (laughs) you. And it's like, well, what channel is it on? <sighs> Probably channel 98, wherever you live. But it's a real show, I'm telling you. And it's almost the same kind of thing with this because it's like, so what's your new show about? It's like, um, do you know who Diplo is? And you know, there's a certain age cutoff, I think. Like right. above that, the answer is Dip what? Yeah, yeah. And then you say, well, he's uh, he's kind of like the Frank Sinatra of, of EDM. Do you know what EDM and they think it's some kind of drug, and you're like, Edie Gourmet? No, it's like, no, no. It's called electronic dance. Oh, yeah, I don't know any of that. I'm not sure. And then, and then, of course, you can then follow it up with, "Well, I'm playing him," <laughs> and they're super impressed. If you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. All right, just stop asking. You're not going to know. And then, of course, when, what's it going to be? It's on Viceland. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're having to. <laughs> the show is about something that Aunt Rose doesn't know on a platform that Aunt Rose doesn't know doesn't, by a network that Aunt Rose doesn't know. I mean, it's like, it's just a, but, you know, the interesting thing is that if you can get people like that to check it out once, they go, you know, actually, 
It was really interesting. It was really good. I kind of liked that Lean On song. That was good. <laughs> it was very... Yeah. Oh, did, did you go to like Electric Daisy Carnival or any of the... I went to... We went to the Mandy's and Block Party and um, we actually threw me up on stage as him um, and didn't tell anybody to get the footage, which was pretty amazing. And actually the most amazing thing about it, because the footage looks like a bazillion dollars, which we never could have staged. Uh, we did the same thing at the uh, at the Aaron Style show here for about a minute and 40 seconds. If you were at that show, it was me and not Wes. Um, just dancing with the dancers and running around and you know there's a shot of me in front of 30,000 people everybody following my hand movements and like oh wow which is just gold for us um, as a show but the really invaluable thing at the Mad Decent Block Party was um, I'm standing up and at that point I was actually behind the rig and Wes had shown me Wes who's Diplo um, had shown me how to make a loop and how to do all this other stuff which he thought was so easy to do and it's so not right <laughs> um, but I looked at this sea of people looking up and being like, move me, like make me want to throw my hands in the air. And it just, it became abundantly clear that this is not like the energy can't stop at the person behind the turntable. He's got to like give that back. Right. He's got to read the crowd, figure out what they want, give it to them, then figure out what they don't know they don't want and give that to them. And if it ever like stops and it's just like this kind of, Oh yeah, I'm the best. I'm a musical God kind of thing. It's going to be a very ungratifying experience for the audience. So to understand that firsthand and see it was really, was really interesting. I mean, it, it, not know. I mean, like we had a, we had an EDM tent at the festival mm-hmm. in Northern California that I made a couple of weeks ago. And it was as big as anything else at the, at the festival. Like it, it is, the movement is real, and people oh, yeah. are passionate about it. What, what, how would you describe? I mean, you you kind of did just now, but what is it that makes an extra special? Like, what is the artistry behind it that makes an extra? Just for people who are like, oh, well, is it really that hard to like play songs on your iPod? And you're like, no, you're not playing songs on right. an iPod. Right. I mean, well, first of all, and as per Wes's instructions, we take the piss out of the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you read any interviews with Diplo, he'll be like, yo, we're all so fucking cheesy so stupid like we're just you know um but there really is artistry to it he would probably roll his eyes if he heard me waxing so poetic about it but um i mean it, you know, it's a show it's like in this day and age when everybody can consume any kind of entertainment they want from the comfort of their couch by themselves to have an event where people congregate together physically a bunch of sweaty bodies all experiencing the same thing together and becoming an organism. Yeah. There's something to that. There's something to being around everybody else's energy, not to be too hippie about it, but like, Hey, it's cool. man. I went to raves in the <laughs> early nineties. I get it. I remember DJ Dan. I went yeah. to fucking raves and watched him spin <laughs> on turntables and watched a, someone with an ecstasy hat walking around exactly. wearing a fucking Dr. Seuss hat and a clock on their neck. That's, that's what it is. But there's a real openness to it. Like there's a real openness to the, uh, to the people that are there there's a kind of community spirit that comes out of it um, but just to watch people who are there they're sweaty they're tired and then just by the music that's coming out of the speakers they're jumping with energy they don't even have they're going into reserves that they you know just were unaware of prior to, to that song coming on and to watch the crowd watch them just like play with the crowd and then bring it down and then bring it back up and then He's got the dancers and the lights and the sand and the fog cannon and the you know all this other like stuff that goes along with the show. It's a really, like, it's a really gratifying kind of adrenaline fueled experience. And also, it the the fortitude of people. I mean, with the EDM tent, I feel like I was I feel like I was across the the whole uh, area from the tent. I'm like, fuck, that's loud. And then you look inside and you see people are basically just like their fucking faces like in a speaker. How are are their eyes not bleeding out of their head from the the intensity of the sound? Yeah, it's an outlet. It's an outlet. And it's what I, what was really interesting when I first, one of the reasons I kind of thought this could be a really interesting thing to explore and do like a deep dive on was just because some, some of what makes some of what hits in this kind of music is vulnerability. You know, you've got, and there's, there's a place obviously for music that is, you know, kind of aggro and like braggadocio and like, you know, I'm, I'm at this point in my life bored with people just bragging about their cars and their money. But, um, 
Well, don't forget about my big dick. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Well, you're, you're actually. Well, no, I, how could I forget? <laughs> um, <laughs> but but like what, what works in a lot in like electronic music is people screaming at the top of their lungs, "Don't let me down!" Like, where are you now that I need you? Like, these are real expressions of vulnerability, and, and it's thought, a, a and raw emotional that, connective experience. Yeah, and that's what and that's what connects with people. And I thought that's that could be a fun space to explore. And that that raw expression is really fascinating of just throwing all of your emotions, like just being completely open and throwing all your emotions out there and not communicating with words, not communicating anything, but you're essentially communicating with sound yeah. and dance and movement. Yeah. And uh, it, the, I think Lydia maybe told me that – was it at Coachella this year? One of the big festivals had like a silent EDM where everyone had headphones on. Interesting. So that they were all hearing the same thing but – so if you were to watch it, it would, it it like would a look cult. insane. <laughs> but it 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 create it created an environment where the sound wasn't bleeding onto into the other acts, but it still allowed everyone to have oh, wow. that that shared experience in huh. one place. It's interesting. Was it was it cool? Was it fun? Was I don't know. It, she didn't she, she didn't, didn't go. Yeah, I don't know. But she just said because we were we because one of the things when you're sort of planning a festival is like how do you make sure stuff doesn't bleed into everything else? Yeah, and that was one of the things that she said. I was like, I feel like that would have a tr- there'd be a tremendous amount of expense being like, here's your headphones. Now here's your headphones. <laughs> now make sure you return them. Don't damage these. <laughs> I I know where exactly. you are. I see yeah. you. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, but it's a it's a crazy phenomenon. There's a line in the show. I think it's it's in the first episode actually. Um, where uh, Diplo was talking to Calvin Harris, and <laughs> played by Calvin Harris. No, no, we were, <laughs> we were, we were no, no uh, DJs play themselves. No musicians play themselves. They're all played by actors. And they're all are they all cool with that? Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out eventually. So he's talking to he's talking so, to fake so, Calvin so Harris. He's talking to fake Calvin Harris. Um, and uh, and at one point. Diplo says something. There was actually a, a line that Spike Jones had, had suggested, which was Diplo turns and is like, are, are we just posers pressing buttons? <laughs> and Calvin's response is, uh, no, we're, we're shamanic healers offering glimpses of enlightenment through music. <laughs> and we play it off as like, a, and, and like, and the joke is that Diplo's like, are you fucking with me? Are you like, are we? No, you're fucking with me, right? Are you? Like, um, and so it lives in that weird kind of awkward gray area, which is where a lot of the show at its best, I feel like, kind of lives. Um, but the, I feel like there is equally some truth to that in some weird way. Like they really are communicating something that, like you said, can't be communicated with words. It's really only through music. And that's that's subjective. That's feminine. That's well, like yeah. And, and you know, the truth beyond. of the matter is, like, especially if you're even talking about comedy, there is an approach where you go, well, it's very cathartic for people because you're coming together and it's a defense mm-hmm. mechanism and it creates community and allows people to express things that they may be afraid to express in polite society yeah. and allows them to deal with things. You know, but it's just so I think I feel like there's the basic understanding that that's a mechanism at play. But when you say it out loud, it just sounds really silly. It sounds so stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> We're healers. Our jokes heal people. And that may actually be the case. And for some people and for, as a comedy fan, I know that's been the case for me. Yeah. But it just sounds really funny when you when you say it. When, when you come right out with that. Would, that's why it was fun to like just layer ridiculousness and stupidity on top of all of these hoity toity conversations that we yes. had in, in the writer's room was just to um just to take the piss out of it while also really ch- kind of trying to find the truth as much as we could. It's just, I, I love, I love seeing a passionate subculture about something. And so like when you would, when you drive around Los Angeles and you see like, you know, appearing at this club in Las Vegas, yeah. like who the fuck is that guy? And then you find out like, well, that's one of the most famous DJs in the world, in the world. who is probably making $50 million a year oh, just yeah. going, I mean, it's like it, 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 so to see people really, really like that absorbed and passionate in something, it is contagious because it's fun to watch people get excited about things. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that was one of the things that I realized like in my early, early teen idledom, which is why it was such a mind fuck for me. It was like, I just realized that people really wanted to be passionate about something and that their people screaming and going crazy and I love you, I love you, had very little to do with actually me. It was just they wanted to feel passionate about something. And so we were like their excuse. Now, that was a very cynical take to have at 20 years old. It, it, but, it, but, but also, yeah, but when you're about that, but when you're young and you start discovering your own things that speak your own language and speak to you in a way and, and, you know, and when that show came out, I remember when the first – 
I remember hearing people my age go, oh my God. And then the one character is like hooking up with the teacher and it's great. It's like, it's like when Fast Times came out and you go, oh shit, this is, this is a whole, this is a, a dialogue that people of a certain age are not privy to because it is a certain, yeah. it is a certain stratum of communication that is very organic to how it's, you know, this particular generation communicates and wants to be in its aspirational in that way. And it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, cause Lydia was watching uh, Riverdale and I go, yeah, it's, you know, they're just, and you don't have to comment on this. I'm like, yeah, they're just doing Dawson's Creek. You know, it's like, it's like with it, the formula being like, you know, young kids with grown up themes. It's like right. young young kids right. playing grown up, right? And, and I'm sure we didn't invent it either. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that but that but that idea is that, that that it allows people of a certain generation to to absorb their you know to to express their as they start to get into adulthood, I guess you know. Yeah, because like you're going through. I the and it I, doesn't talk down. It's not patronizing. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, it's not. And your show in particular was not patronizing in that way. It just like. It was their story that this is the shit they were going through. And, you know, like people of that age were like, fuck, that's so cool that they're going through all these adult problems and shit. Yeah, they were. And they were talking like adults with 30 years of therapy, <laughs> you know, and, and I feel like maybe there was some catharsis for teenagers watching it because it was like, OK, yeah, I was trying to put my finger on it. But now hearing the thing that that, you know, 40 something year old writer wrote. <laughs> <laughs> crystallizes it in a way that like I wasn't maybe able to express. Yeah, there was something on Riverdale where I was like, I, I, when I said the same thing, I was like, 40-year-old writer, but one, I think it's yeah. Betty or something, is like, that's so Betty Draper season two. I'm like, the fucking 40-year-old wrote that. <laughs> There's not, not one 16-year-old has ever said that's so Betty Draper season two. Not even when Mad Men was on. <laughs> that's all right, though. That's, that's why I love writers and I love collaborating with writers because like that's something so specific to that one writer. Yes. And it really meant something and it's like you know what once upon a beat remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold and now when you read them as an adult you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin we have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember remix and reimagine for the kids in your life today Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.